Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're on the seventh lesson now of our first quarter study, all about the message of Hebrews. And this week, the title is Jesus, the Anchor of the Soul. I can't really go wrong with that particular lead-in right there. Nothing wrong with that. Even though it sounds so hopeful, there is going to be, I don't want to get too much away here, but there's going to be some strong things to look at, some maybe challenging things to to apply in our lives uh, as we go through this lesson. And um, yeah, a little little warning, a little rebuke even for some people who might fall away. So that's a, it's a thing we got to face up to. It's reality. Hey, and the lesson get, hits it straight can't on. can't always spend our time on milk. That's right. right. We're going on a deeper food. thing. That's in our <laughs> That's in the lesson right itself. There, so. All right. So, Pastor Howard, since I put the talking points together this week, why don't you open us up with a word of prayer, and then I'll walk through the lesson. Shall we do that? Absolutely. Father in heaven, we are thankful again for the privilege we have of studying your word together. We thank you for the privilege we have as Sabbath school teachers to handle that word uh, among your people, and we pray that you would help us to handle it uh, respectfully and uh, with the uh, sacredness and the power that it contains. May it be a blessing to those who come to the class to learn. May it be a blessing to those who are watching now in preparation. And may it help us to walk more faithfully with you, for we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you go to Sabbath Afternoon's lesson study, there is a, a phrase that is used there um, called a cycle of warning and encouragement. Yes. Now, in the little introductory notes to say, this lesson focuses on a, quote, cycle of warning and encouragement, which again, paragraph four of Sabbath Afternoon speaks of, which Paul speaks to his to the audience of Hebrews. This week, we'll study his instruction primarily, and here's our main passage, is Hebrews 6, 4 through 20, and find time and lessons for our own walk of faith. All right. So the main section. Now, last week we had talked about. We dipped into chapter six right. just a little bit. And I looked at it, but your main issue, uh, not main issue, but the main uh, thrust of the study was five and seven and kind of jumped over six. Yeah. And now we're back to looking at why would he do that? Well, because there's, there's some pretty straight talk in six that maybe uh, deserves its own focus here. But let's start with talking point number well, one. Well, let's also note that chapter six starts with the word therefore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, you really cannot get away from the connective tissue of five, six, seven, and onward because, well, we've covered that ad nauseum probably, but you can't really break up Hebrews no. into little sections as though they're separate from each other. Anyway, talking point number one this week, God warns and rebukes in love. And we're going to take that from Sabbath and Sunday. And it just dawns on me, Pastor Howard, I actually was able to find that this week's Sabbath and Sunday go nicely together, then Monday and Tuesday go nicely together, then Wednesday and Thursday. So it's kind of laid out sequentially. Right. It's nice. So anyway, God warns and rebukes in love. Talking point number one. I'm sorry, one. I was just looking ahead and seeing that every single chapter starts with a four, therefore, and now for this reason, and yeah. just all the way through until 13. Anyway, an argument. Maybe, yeah. maybe We're getting ahead of our, getting over yeah. our skis a little bit here. Number two. Talking point number two. Willful sin puts Christ to open shame. That's right. going to be the big rock in our jar this week. Monday and Tuesday covers that. And then finally, talking point number three, Jesus is our hope, the anchor for our souls. And that's Wednesday and Thursday. So let's walk through this warning and rebuke here. Let's go back and read a little bit of context, if we will. Again, the passage is focusing starting at chapter 6, verse 4. And it says, why don't you read verses 4 through 6 right off the bat. Okay, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift 
and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God in the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Mm. Now that is not a... (laughs) I cannot imagine going to a local church and be like, our scripture reading today is Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Mm -hmm. And like, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Mm -hmm. We just said, but this is part of the word of God right here. It's part of the message of Hebrews. And so it's something we need to deal with. What does it mean that it's impossible? And why would... If we're always trying to build up faith, the whole point of the Bible is to look to Jesus, be hopeful, be encouraged. Why would you say such harsh, mm-hmm. st- you know, strident things to people you're trying to build up their faith in? Tell us. Well, I think the reason <laughs> is is because God warns and rebukes in love. That's what He. That's part of what He does to help us. Now, it somehow I don't know how. You know, I don't know. If this is gonna. This should not take anybody by surprise. I don't think in this casual context it will. But when we have serious conversation, or you're preaching it in a sermon as a pastor, mm-hmm. it seems to take people by surprise to say that the tendency of humanity is never towards righteousness. <laughs> you know, in other words, the Bible, you know, we, we, and it's funny, we say, well, we just need reminders of, you know, God's love and care and whatever. But the reality is we are reluctant and we are reticent to admit that, you know what, I'm a procrastinator for anything spiritual, and I need to be nudged and pushed. The reality is, that's what Paul's speaking of here, is he realizes that um, we don't we tend to need pushed a little bit. Mm. Well, and I don't know, go ahead. there may be somebody, I just, <laughs> in my experience as a pastor, I haven't met anybody that's like, oh no, they're, you know, they never need a nudge. It's just because it's part of carnal nature. Mm-hmm. The carnal nature is enmity against the law of God. It's not subject, neither indeed can be. It is not natural for us to love the things of God. It has to be implanted well, in us, and we have to be... There's always the flesh and spirit battle. Beyond that, I think there's a, there's another layer of this, too, because the audience that Paul's addressing here are not... Like, these are not the they're first not time... That, yeah, they're not just hearing this for the first time, and they're not pagans who are curious about something. He's like, well, look, you better, you're gonna, it's impossible... Right. He's talking to people who have been, and, you know, let me give you this two-second thought, okay? It's going to be more than two seconds, but, you know, time it out. We treat members of the church far nicer than we treat visitors to the church. For instance, if you hold an evangelistic yeah. campaign, boy, we'll, we'll take record, we'll take attendance, we'll monitor all the progress. But as soon as you come to the church, any accountability, Brother, any, listen. like, checking on stuff, any, oh, my goodness, if you were disciplined. Let's just talk about the baptismal vow. Mm. I often have to clear people that I'm going to baptize on issues that the, that, that the members aren't even. That's doing. what I'm saying. And as soon like as you you're be- expected to do this, and it's like, but how come? Well, right. Well, and so he's talking to church people. It's like, I thought we only talk encouragement. We only talk sweet mm-hmm. kindness and uplift. It's like, no, he's talking straight to people who, for, because there's a danger for their souls, yeah. right? And this no, is when you I think, use the word, you know, verse four, he uses the word impossible. I mean, that's, yeah. he doesn't say, you know, Kind of it's difficult. Gonna be difficult. Yeah. No, it is impossible. Then that gives the weight to his warning. That's right. And I think of Revelation three, where we're familiar here in the the message of the Laodicea, is where Christ said, "As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Yes. Therefore, be zealous and what? Repent." Yeah. The spirit of Paul's instruction here, and we're going to see it also in chapter ten later on, where he lays the axe to the root. He's not doing it out of frustration or mean spiritedness or punitive motive. 
his goal is to get people to be as you awakened to this true condition so that they're not lost, right. right? That's a big deal. So when God gives a message of warning like this, just like he did with ancient Israel, we studied all through Deuteronomy, how he had dealt with those. You know, <laughs> I was thinking back on that statement. When Moses struck the rock and he said, here now, you rebels, must we? Sister White makes a comment to you. You know, he wasn't wrong. They were That's rebels. Right. Now, he shouldn't have said it that way, right. right? But addressing the issue is not a problem. John the Baptist, Jesus, mm-hmm. with dealing with his own disciples, had to deal with some pretty straight talk, right? But the takeaway for me is that God loves us too much not to warn us of the danger we're in. Well, I think about when I read this, he says it's impossible once a person has had... What he's talking about is a level of experience. Mm-hmm. Once they've had all this experience, to the, the phrase to renew them again to repentance. In other words, this experience of being enlightened and tasting the heavenly gift and being partaker of the Spirit, there's something in that that it originally brings repentance. And mm-hmm. I think of Romans where it says the goodness of God leads to repentance. And in fact, I don't know if you've had this happen, but I've preached before um, something similar to what Paul's saying here, and I've had some dear saint come <coughs> up and say, uh, Pastor, don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? As if you need to just preach, you know, bright, happy, happy uplifting. Yep. But when you read Romans... The, the, the goodness of God, the text is in the context of my sin. In other words, the goodness of God in contrast to how horrible your sin is. Mm. So, in other words, the goodness, the, I see the goodness of God when I realize it's that goodness that I don't deserve because I'm not worthy of it. Mm-hmm. So it's in the very context of the kinds of things he's saying here. When we're enlightened, you think about when you were first enlightened, what did that mean? You saw your sin in right. its true light. You had that born and again Jesus, experience. Yeah. I mean, why is he hanging on that cross? Mm-hmm. Because of me. Right. Not, not, you know, to save me, yes, but because of what I did to him. I did that to him. Mm-hmm. That's where the, the, the goodness of God brings out that the repentance. Conviction, yeah. And Paul's point is once you've seen all that, now what's he going to show you? Right. And, and the lesson gets into that a little bit more. Right. And well, this, again, the context back, he says in 5 verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you should be taking this and teaching to other people. If we're having to revisit the elementary yes. things again, just to try to stir up some sort of like, friends, you're already, this. these are warning signals in your spiritual life. If you're having to always go back to A, B, C, when we should be mm-hmm. moving on to great themes and victory in Jesus and overcoming the world and saving, mm. you know. And here we are trying to deal with these things. You're in danger, is basically yeah. what he's saying. Well, you here. make a great point because isn't that what we do? Like, if somebody's not progressing in the spiritual life, it's like, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the. Ba-. And when he's, his whole point here, verse four, four, it is impossible. Because, let's not go back to the basics. Why? Because it's impossible, once you've been enlightened, to to agitate and renew and deepen your spiritual experience by going back to the basics. The only hope for you, he says, is to move forward. Mm. <laughs> and, and so what we tend to do is we want to go back to the basics. And what Paul's saying here is there's danger if I just dwell on the basics all the time. Even though you should be ahead of where you are and you're not, I'm going ahead anyway. Isn't yeah. that what he says? Because at yeah. the end of it, he says, look, you're only ready for, for milk and not solid food, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to move on to solid food anyway yeah. because it's dangerous for you to stay where you are. That's right. And so he's saying, like, I'm doing this for your best interest, and it's going to be cutting experience, but you need it, right? right. In fact, he goes on to say in verse, uh, f- verse 6, 
if they, those people who've experienced and partaken, all this kind of stuff, if they fail, if they, if they fall, fall away, I'm sorry, if yeah. I fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. He says, what, what you're doing mm-hmm. is crucifying Jesus all over again for yourself. Now, you're not nullifying everything he's done for the whole world, but for you. Yeah. You're essentially putting Christ right back up on that cross, killing him again, and putting him to an open shame. Like you care, mm-hmm. and, and let's think about the nature of this. It goes to my talking point number two here. Willful sin puts Christ to open shame. What does that mean? Well, when we lay our sin on the sinless substitute of Christ, we execute that old man, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're saying. When we say, just like in the Old Testament, they would lay their hands, yeah. right? Like I'm, I'm taking that part of me that I need forgiven. I'm putting right. it to you and allowing it to be part of that death. Right. right, Galatians two twenty. I am crucified with Christ. Right, and how many times does this same Paul who wrote Hebrews talk about crucify the world? Galatians six mm-hmm. fourteen. Crucify the old man. Romans six six. Crucify the flesh with flesh with his passions right. and desires. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Romans eight. Right. So you made a choice to just as the Romans put Christ on the cross, that you're mm-hmm. going to put your old man up on that cross, and I'm going to mm-hmm. kill him. Right. Praise the Lord. But then, if from that vantage point, your old man, your old way of life. Right. You go back and dig that man up mm-hmm. and reinvigorate him, right? Breathe new life into that old man. You're essentially negating all that Christ had done for you. You're going right back to the original thing here. And now you're in a different position to those people who didn't know. Mm-hmm. You're not the, the, the heathen on the desert island who didn't know about. Right. You're the guy who you were there. You've tasted. You've seen that the Lord is good. And from that vantage point to do that to Christ is an open shame to our Savior. So those who willfully rebel, though, knowing the goodness of God, are essentially... Now, this is not in the lesson. This is my mm-hmm. statement, but I think it's accurate, so I put it in there, right? We'll see it from inspiration here. Are essentially in the same spiritual condition as was Lucifer after his fall. All right. All right. And now you're going to break that down, I think. Yes. Now, in the talking... I'm sorry. In the teacher's edition, uh, which, by the way... Every even if you don't have the actual teacher's edition paper booklet, right? Yeah. You do have access to that through the yeah. app free of charge and it has all these notes in here. In the teacher's comments on page ninety five of the teacher's edition, uh, in the second paragraph there, are really helpful. It says to shame Christ is to reenact the crucifixion. This reenactment shows the devastating and continuing impact of apostasy in those who were once enlightened. They cannot be restored to repentance because of the present ongoing attitude they have toward Christ. Their actions describe both the cause of apostasy and the ongoing attitude of the apostate. Mm. By rejecting Christ, the apostate embraces the impossibility of repentance. Basically, you're either going to live to the old man apart from Christ, or you're going to allow that old man to be crucified with Christ. But if you resurrect that man and go back to that life of sin again, you are putting to an open shame and crucifying again Jesus. Now, how does this relate to Lucifer? Now, I put it in our talking post note, Desire of Ages 761. Why don't you read that? Lucifer in heaven had sinned in the light of God's glory. Understanding the character of God, knowing his goodness, Satan chose to follow his own selfish, independent will. This choice was final. There was no more that God could do to save him. Mm. Now, just marinate in that for a second. There was nothing more that God, it doesn't say would do. That's right, could do. It says nothing more he could do. 
He's like, I I've played all my cards. I've shown th your choice is yours. It, it, it reminds me of the investigative judgment statement from Revelation mm -hmm. 22, the idea of let him who is righteous be righteous. Right. But if you're filthy, be filthy still. You've chosen it. That's a really good statement. And, you know, because when, when, when Paul says there's no more sacrifice for sin, there can be a tendency for us to think, well, God's not willing to do anymore. Yeah, and he's pulling back because you're we so naughty. We forget that the sacrifice for sin was revealing God to us in a powerful way. And once you've seen that, what reserve revelation does he have? Like, that's the greatest revelation. And by the way, if there life. was something more he could have done, why that's wouldn't he have done that? That's right. He's like, when I gave Jesus, that's that's everything I've got. Right. There's, I've emptied my, my account. Yeah, that's, there's nothing more. Nothing else. And so that's the point that's made here. There was no, and we don't know what all efforts were made to save yeah. Lucifer, but it got to a point where there was, God had revealed everything he could about right. it. There's nothing else he could do. And once he's done that, th those revelations, again, bring us to repentance. Well, once you've once you, it's like, you know, when you're in the darkness and you, and you turn on the lights, it grabs your attention. But mm -hmm. once you're sitting in a flood of light. Yeah, what's the flashlight going to yeah, do? Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and interestingly enough, if you go back to that original statement, Desire of Age 761, in, the, in its context, it contrasts Lucifer's position with man's when he fell. We were mm. deceived. We didn't understand fully. We hadn't had the long experience that Lucifer had. So we were in a different position. That's right. right. But this is what Paul is bringing out in Hebrews 6 here, that these are not just run-of-the-mill, any old people around the world. These are people who have been close to Christ, who have laid down their old man of sin and have tasted that heavenly gift and used all these euphemisms for that rebirth experience, right? And from that position, they then turn Christ down. It's a unique setting, right? Right. So in the notes I say, the nature of this willful rebellion is further outlined in Hebrews 10. Why don't you read 26 yeah. to 29 for us? For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, again, after we have received, we've been enlightened. The, the right. same, same thing. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Can we mm. stop there? Uh Yes, let's go ahead and do the first 29. Yeah. yeah, that's where you read to. So, no, I read to 27. Anyone was, who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Mm. Now, let's walk through those three things because mm. it sounds like, oh, he's just being poetic. <laughs> like he's just really having to drive the oratory, drive the point home. Well, I don't but, know if I like the poem. Yeah, no, I don't like what he's saying. But notice what he's saying. He's trampled the Son of God underfoot. So Christ himself, you've disregarded and just, yes. you know, disrespected. And counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. A common thing. Right. So the sacrifice that Christ made for you, you've disregarded. And finally insulted the spirit of grace. Mm, so you have Christ, the life of grace, the blood of Christ, and the spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit. What more can we give? That's this is right. everything, right? And it does make me think of Matthew, Matthew 12. 12. Exactly. This is the, you know, um, the, the unpardonable sin, as we commonly refer to it. When Jesus talked about how you could speak against Christ, but not against the spirit. If you have that one, you yeah. read 12, 31, 31 and 32. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. 
Well, while there's some clear parallels there, you could read into that a potential contradiction. It said, well, Jesus said you could sin against the Son of Man, speak against him, but as long as you don't insult the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Where Paul in Hebrews talks about you trampling the Son of God, counting the blood mm-hmm. of the covenant. Well, those are Jesus things, and apparently you can't be. What's the deal? Well, in my understanding of this, I, I want to make sure to resolve this apparent contradiction. The thing that they have both have in common is the resistance of the power of the Holy Spirit on the heart. That when Jesus was walking around, there were people who didn't understand his ministry or speak against him. In fact, there were people who crucified him. But on the day of Pentecost, salvation was still open to them. Yeah. So they hadn't committed the unpardonable sin even by taking the life of Christ himself. So... What Paul is talking about in Hebrews here. But one of the things, one of the reasons for that is they did not recognize him as God. Despite despite all the evidences, but they did. He was speaking of what he was saying to them was, okay, fine, you can disagree with me. But you cannot disagree with what you know is to be the voice of God. And much like he was commenting on how the human tendency is to put on the person. Like, in other words, when I feel convicted, I'm going to say, well, it's that pastor and I don't like what he said. Well, it's fine. If I preach something and you disagree with me, if it truly is a disagreement with just my opinions, it's no big deal. But if what I'm saying is prompted by the Spirit of God and you're disagreeing with the Spirit, disagreeing with the Spirit of God, right? You know, and that was Jesus' point to them is, you're seeing me as a man and you're thinking you're disagreeing with a man. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But yeah. if you're disagreeing with God and you're fighting God, right. what else can And it God goes back do? to that willful thing. It's yes. like you don't know what you're disagreeing with, but here you have both of them being... God is sending a message, and as soon as you recognize, understand it, you've experienced it for yourself. That's a different position than someone who's like, I'm not quite sure about this. I have a, right. you know, it's the difference between uh, uh, a question and an objection, or an objection and an excuse. Right. Like, like, no, no, it's not that you don't understand, it's because you do understand. Yeah. That's the issue, right? And so here, we're talking to people who mm. understand, who've tasted and seen that God is good. Sister White, uh, why don't you read Patriots and Prophets 580 yeah. comments on this. Of all sinners, those are most guilty who cast contempt upon the means that heaven has provided for man's redemption, who crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Mm. So casting contempt upon the means, the mechanism, yes. which of Christ, Christ is the apostle. He's right. the sacrifice. His blood is, the, mm-hmm. is, is what we need. But all of that comes to us in the direct application sense to the work of the Holy Spirit. So interestingly, both Jesus and Paul talk about the key issue is what do you know and what do you do with that conviction exactly when you right. know it? And that seems to be the, the key element that Paul, Jesus was warning against and here in Paul right. in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 is saying, you know too much to not be accountable That's right. for the God to God for this. And that's the that's the dark, the dark, uh, not dark, but the stark warning yeah. of It's a dark, Hebrews. kind of a dark warning, too. It is. I mean, and if but you it, left it heavy there. end on a bright note. Exactly. If we just said, <laughs> oh, that was it. Please don't go to our lesson this week yeah. and be like, boy, you could sure be lost. Let's bow our heads for prayer, right? But I love how in Hebrews chapter 6, if you go back there now, after writing such a, a direct, uh, you know, warning, we find in verse 9... This statement, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So he's like, I know I'm saying some hard things to you right now, but we're still confident of better things for you. And that should 
one of the lessons, I'm sure there's a lot of things we could take away from Hebrews 6, uh, 6 verse 9. But as a pastor, as a teacher, as a, any a local leader of any kind, a Sabbath school teacher, an elder, it is so easy to look at people through the lens of the sins that they've committed, mm-hmm. through the humans, like what are the odds they're going to pull out of this one, yeah. right? Always kind of poor mouth and down talking, right? But what does Paul say? He's talking to people who should be by teachers by this time. You know, what's and you're funny is we, we're all there. And so it's, what's funny is we often will come from a place like that, come to know the Lord. He changes our life. And then we actually will look at somebody and say, I don't know how that person... <laughs> yeah, he's like, like um, I was that miserable <laughs> wretch right. like an hour ago, right? And I think that's what Paul is saying. I mean, Paul of all people, right. he had a Damascus Road yes. experience. I mean, a literal, you know? Yes. And so he looks <laughs> yes, at people... he did. Like, he, he, he looks at people and says, like, look, I know that you're prone to falling away, but we can still be confident there's hope for you. Now. Right. And he ends on a note of encouragement, right? And he points people to Jesus, the anchor for our souls. And he goes on, why don't you read verses 10 through 12 in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work of labor, work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Mm. So Paul affirms the good things that he sees. Hey, you guys are working. Why don't you don't don't stop doing that? I, I believe that Paul understood very clearly the principle that the cure for spiritual apathy is spiritual activity. Mm-hmm. He does not. And let me come back to a point you made, which might be a little controversial. But in the same way, when people are having a a sluggish spiritual experience. We said, let's revisit the easy things. Mm -hmm. And we say, we're not ready for outreach. We don't really want to, what we need to do is just sit and focus. He's like, that's the single worst thing you can do. A little navel gazing. Exactly. We need to get you up and active. We need to move on a deeper Bible study. We need to do more work for the Lord because. Yeah. It's interesting in the context, some of the words, you know, that each of you show the same diligence and then through faith and patience, Patience is a word you use it in the context of resistance. Like endurance. So the diligence, yeah. the patience, like keep pressing on mm-hmm. and and press on because you have this confidence mm-hmm. kind of thing. Amen. Well, and, and he, spe- he specifically talks about their ministering, their acts of minister, minister to the saints, and you do minister. Right. Like keep that up, right? Uh, it reminds me of the statement from Acts of the Apostles, page 105, where Sister White says, Strength to resist evil is mm-hmm. best gained by aggressive service. So this idea that just like in a physical, you know, phys- I've, I've made the, the comparison before. If you had a broken leg and it atrophied as it healed, you know, the muscles did. Yeah. You don't get up and and say, well, I'm sorry, it look, looks like you've got weakness now. You're just suffering. Right. from we- No, you build it up. You right. actively engage. And the same thing is true spiritually as well. And our time is running out, but we have to get to this last point, verses 19 and 20. Let me read to there. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The same thing that Paul has done in chapters before, I think of closing of chapter 4, saying that we have a high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Here in chapter 6, this hope we have in Jesus. In chapter 12, he's going to talk about looking forward to Jesus, the author of it. The 
Throughout Hebrews, he talks about hope, Jesus. confidence, hope, and confidence. assurance. And you were looking it up. How many times do we see? And you know, well, I mean, Hebrews 3, 6, and 14, 4, 14, 10, 35, or 10, 22, and 23, 7, 19. I don't have them in order. On and on You and mentioned on. 12, yeah. 1, and 2. Yeah. Um, and, and what's fascinating hope, to me is... confidence, assurance. ...is that all of that you have in your note, our only hope of salvation is to hold on to our anchor, Jesus Christ. And it's funny how oftentimes we talk in the church about assurance, but what we're talking about is how I feel. Mm. Our anchor is never in how we feel. Our Amen. feelings are deceptive. Our hope is in Jesus, what he promised he would do, and his ability and capability to do it. And that's where Paul mm. focuses in Hebrews under the high priest is that Jesus is fully capable. He's fully qualified. He's fully able. It's a confident. He's sworn by an oath and yada, yada, yada. Lay hold of this thing and mm. press forward and have confidence that... You have victory because Jesus is already the conqueror. Well, and one of the things I think we sometimes miss is like we're trying to give people the hope of salvation when the thing is we need the hope of the Savior himself. Like That's we need exactly to right. like the, the cling to this. Oh, you've got it. So stop looking at you. Look at Jesus and cling to him. And that salvation that he offers right. will come along. He's the author and the finisher. If you have Amen. him, you have the the whole everything. <laughs> you got it all. Exactly. Well, we need to wrap up. Him. But in conclusion, why don't you read Steps Christ, page 43. It's also found in paragraph one of Friday's uh, study. It says, The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God, requires a struggle, but the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a challenge. But Christ is our hope. He is our anchor. And as we hold to him, he will finish right. that work. We flee to the throne of grace to find grace and help. And Amen. we'll find it there. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us enough to be honest with us and telling us our true spiritual condition, but also believing in enough, giving us that hope of confidence, not just in the state of our salvation, but the fact that we have a living Savior who ever lives to make intercession for us. Help us always to turn to Jesus with the eye of faith and hold to him steadfastly. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.